Hello, and welcome to This Movie is Gay, a podcast that takes your favorite apparently heterosexual films and demonstrates why that is not the case. I'm Haley. I'm Emma. And we have a very special podcast today. Instead of tackling a single film, we are tackling a genre, an IP, an entity. And the subject of today's podcast is Disney villains are gay. They're all gay. They are. But also none of them are gay enough to really merit an entire um, hour-long conversation. So we decided to just merge them into one monster podcast. Yes, it, it's, yeah, it's going to be a monster piece and a mishmash, but also a return, a return to a topic that we brought up eight, what feels like eons ago when we tackled our first animated film, The Road to El Dorado, which, which spurred a whole little sub-conversation. Yeah, I mean, and we brought it up many times since, so we decided That's true. It's, it's time. It merits um, it. So the format for today is going to be a little different because we're going to try and cover a bunch of movies all in sort of one fell swoop. So we sort of did an elaborate team picking system and have each tackled a couple, <laughs> a couple major villains. Um, mm. and the dodgeball each, system. Exactly. <laughs> a tried and true friendship ending method. Um, <laughs> and so we're going to like each, we're going to take turns just sort of presenting the case for the mm. villains that we're each covering and then we'll just discuss as we usually mm. yeah kind of as we go through I wondered do you do you think it's it's worth kind of like headlining the you know because what we talked about when we brought up the topic all those eons ago was the sort of thing of like some people mind the kind of all the Disney mm. villains are gay trope and we don't really mind do you think mm -hmm. it's worth kind of rolling out yeah. that carpet before we kind of well I was just I've just been intrigued ever since you sort of mentioned it because it, it first came into our conversation because you were like some people are like offended and that's been part of the conversation surrounding these movies about the fact that so many of the villains are queer coded and you don't really mind and I thought that was really interesting because basically the point that you made at the time was that like oftentimes whoever these mad villains are struggling against the power structures of whatever their movie is, is like more accurate queer representation than just like <laughs> making, making a here, like taking a heterosexual structure and just like changing the gender would be or something like that. Is that more or less the substance yeah, of the point? Yeah, that's pretty much it. And I think that, you know, since especially, I feel like most of what we're talking about is the sort of like classic Disney, like the eighties and nineties Disney Renaissance movie. Right. Um, essentially all of which are romances and so I think that like there's right. I think the sort of other element for me is the like sure there's like I guess something problematic about the queer coding of the person who's determined to disrupt the heterosexual romance but on the other hand the only person mm -hmm. questioning the sort of guiding structures of these worlds being queer coded mm -hmm. also kind of makes sense totally totally yeah yeah but I was thinking about it as no, yeah. no, well, I was just going to say that's kind of like, because broadly they sort of slot into either like people who, people, animals, entities who have been like excluded from whatever the power structure is and they're trying to like overturn it in some way or they're just cock blocking the hero. Yeah. And I don't really want to go and into it anymore because I feel like we're about to start co-opting our totally. own. So maybe we should just um, dive right in and you should kick individual with the okay. earliest one of the earliest movies that we're talking about, which is Peter Pan. Right. Peter Pan, AKA uh, 
camp icon, Captain Hook. I mean, the case for Captain Hook is makes itself. I mean, like, the thing is, he, I mean, first of all, look at him. Mm-hmm. He, his, like, the flamboyance of his, like, clothing, also style of talking, you know, it's just, like, it's a pink shirt and a ruffled ascot and, like, shoulder-length sort of, like, well, it's a King Charles, Charles wig. second-looking hair. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a King Charles wig. And also um, that really, really camp, uh, well, I mean, what we would kind of think of as camp, almost, like, um, really old-style radio sort of rolling of the R's kind of thing he's just like also I mean he's in a domestic partnership with Smee who who he abuses it's not a good marriage but you know Smee's definitely his domestic partner it's still a marriage you know we can't disqualify people just because they're mean to their partners (laughs) gay people can be mean to their partners you know yeah Captain Hook is is the embodiment of that I mean basically the I mean there's like the roots of him are just like there's a lot of vaudeville DNA in Captain Hook I think Mm. you know and I I, you see that in him I also kind of want to like sidestep and sidebar for this one in particular about the fact that re-watching the Disney animated Peter Pan because I love Peter Pan as a thing. Obviously, it has super like problematic stuff culturally going on with it, which now on Disney Plus, they have a little thing that says that when you watch it, it's like there are problematic depictions of Native peoples in this thing. And you're like, oh, good on you for putting that at the front of the thing. That was a Funny. surprise. I know. But the something that I remembered, because I haven't seen it in years, is that Bobby Driscoll, who voices Peter Pan in the Disney Captain Hook, I mean, in the Disney Peter Pan, is um, <laughs> the most important character in the Disney Peter Pan, is actually like the first boy to really play Peter Pan in like popular culture because up until up until the point that Disney made the movie in like the early 50s I think it was on stage always a woman yeah and it it goes along it made me think about how like there's a lot of gay DNA in Peter Pan anyway and in a certain sense having a boy play Peter Pan um even like it locates all of the weird vaudeville like almost panto sort of queer energy on Captain Hook that there's something kind of gay about Peter too in like Mm. most early depictions of it. Like I grew up watching not only this movie, but also the Cyril Richard Mary Martin like live action version, which is camp as fuck. (laughs) And I feel like even though Peter in the animated version doesn't have like, even though he's just like a young American boy in the Disney 50s America, like the Captain Hook still has all of those like really old school queer feeling sort of theater echoes. I don't know. Yeah, that's really that interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be a sort of common thread is that like mm. theatricality of the, vi- the villains yeah. is part of what makes them feel really kind of camp and therefore kind of gay because they just have this sort yeah. of flamboyance and like um, performative kind of energy. Yeah. Yeah. And like sort of relish in it as well. I mean, mm-hmm. it's interesting because the thing that Captain Hook is really, really dramatic about all of his emotions, particularly his like anger and fear. The thing about Captain mm-hmm. Hook is that he's, he's comically afraid, 
like he's scary because he has a lot of power and like you know anybody who would wield a sword at children is pretty scary but like he's <laughs> you know you shouldn't yeah. do it don't but, do it um don't do it but he, his whole thing like the joke of him is that he's comically afraid of a crocodile and a child right like that's right. the that's the thing of him and in the end it really struck me that like the thing that had that what happens to him at the end, like Peter and Wendy and the whole group sort of revenge on him at the end, isn't death or like pain, it's group humiliation. <laughs> right. You know, like they just make fun of him to death, basically. <laughs> which like, I mean, terrifying. Which is terrifying. But yeah, his like the super overblown nature of his feelings. He's just like a massive drama queen. Like whenever yeah. the whenever the crocodile shows up, he just like like dissolves into like a puddle of tears and Smee has to like care for him. It's very funny. He's much more vulnerable than some of the other villains, I think. He's like shown being much more vulnerable in a way that is super theatrical and like funny. Mm. Yeah, that that's made really me, interesting. Yeah, I thought so. There's like, there's a scene with him um, when he has like a cold after having been like driven into the sea in like an escape earlier. And he's shown like on his pirate ship looking really, really uncaptain-y with his like feet in a bucket of hot water and like a shawl around his shoulders but, and like, a thermometer in his mouth. I mean, what is with, I'm sorry, this is such a digression, but the thing with the no, feet no, in the okay. bucket, where did that originate? Like that is not something any human has ever done. And yet in cartoons, that is like the go-to, like, oh, they, yeah, they yeah. fell in some cold water and have a cold now. Yeah, I guess it's the, it's like, I don't know. Is it's it a mystery like you anyway. Would, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter. I'm pondering it. But yeah, it's just like all of his vulnerability is meant to be funny. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is interesting. And it really is just like him and his weird private like life being cared for by Smee while he like wails about how all of these children are defeating him. <laughs> just, you know, I mean, it's really, really high camp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah both aesthetically and kind of structurally, you know? Yeah, I mean, and of course the word, the like semi-offensive word that came to mind when you were reminding me that like his main trace is cowardice is like, he's a sissy, yeah. you know? Yes, yeah. And that's yeah. the sort of joke and that he yeah. he has his, I mean, it's yeah. in a weird way, it's a kind of the same dynamic they replicate in a very different way, but like it's a similar dynamic that they replicate with LeFou and yeah. Gaston and Beauty and the Beast where it's mm. like oh we made them gay and it's sort of like well that was always already the joke totally yeah that's interesting that's interesting it's like well and I don't know there's yeah it's the cowardice is super heightened because the heroes are all children in Peter Pan so it's interesting because it's like in some later movies I feel like where the the stakes of the movie feel I don't know it's just it's it's none of the danger feels especially real. So it's even funnier that he's so afraid of everything. You know what I mean? It's like- Yeah, definitely. But also I think it's maybe necessary because he's like mm. up against children to kind of deflate the right. threat. Like the threat of him. I was thinking when mm. you said he's sort of the most vulnerable, I was like, is that yeah. true? I think it is true. And it's like, if you had someone who's sort of like unrelentingly malicious as like Jafar, you know, right. pursuing- some 10 year olds you'd be it's, like good god <laughs> exactly it would be too it would be too intense and yeah yeah and then of course just the 
the way that he he's really feminine he's just really feminine just aesthetically you know like he's super vain and like spends a lot of time um you know like choosing hooks from a box of like dress hooks and like putting jewels on it and stuff and like I don't know and the way that he understands like a big thing of the plot which I had kind of forgotten about is what a freaking diva Tinkerbell is and the fact that he understands sort of like jealous femininity and uses it to his advantage like that's the thing is like the plot such as it is wouldn't happen if captain hook wasn't like ah i understand what this is and then Mm -hmm. like sympathized with her in a really like sort of gabby like girlish way just long enough for her to like give up the information and then he like imprisons her in a lantern and like tries to kill everyone but you know yeah no that's a really great point i think that's a really Mm. important element Mm. of it is that Mm. yeah the kind of only character we see him relating to is her yeah specifically about being jealous about a boy (laughs) yeah 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 and he says like a jealous female can be tricked into anything or whatever but it's like he he plays a really he like plays a bunch of sort of vaudeville feeling piano while Mm -hmm. she like twinkles at him and you know he has this like conversation with her and it's really I don't know, like the part of his pretense is that they're like getting drunk together. Like Smee has a bottle of wine in the corner or something. Anyway, it's a very feminine space. He's a very feminine man. He's afraid of everything, including children. And and he's in a domestic partnership <laughs> with and his first mate who shaves him. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much covers all the possible, the possible yeah. axes, I think. I think. That's right. I'm yeah. curious, like this introducing this vaudeville idea to yeah. sort of tr- attempt a segue um, mm, is interesting because I was uh, so up next is infamous uh, character who's m- preventing us from referring to these characters as men, Lion Scott Lion. of the Lion King. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious because I was sort of like thinking about it and I was watching Jeremy Irons just. <laughs> remarkable performance in this role truly iconic I was like I was just thinking about how like this is on some ways the default mode for Disney villains of the 90s it's just sort Mm. of kind of fey maybe British (laughs) campy diva vibe and I I, at first I was like did this originate with Scar because the Lion King was so successful and then I went and looked at dates and it didn't and then now after you said that I'm like did it originate with Captain Hook is that the sort of like yeah. seed that became like, oh, this is a model that's really effective and we're just going to kind of replicate it because it, people like it and it works really well? Yeah, maybe so. Because there is a kind of like a... It's a theatricality the, of a theatricality. the villains. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, I'm just that I hadn't, I'd been sort of like, where is the sort of origin? What made that, what was mm. the model that then they decided to keep on copying? And mm. I wonder if it's, I wonder if it is Captain Hook. Mm. Um, but Scar is a um, sterling example of the <laughs> energy that uh, sort of defines the queer-coded Disney villains of this era. Um, sure. From the just, you know, the like sulky, your sulky uncle, your weird gay uncle who like shows up at family <laughs> events when you're a kid and you're like, why does, it, why does everyone hate our uncle? And it's like, because he's gay. Um and just the way people describe him, like in that very first, I was like taking notes as I was going through. And it's just like from the first minute to meet him when he skipped the coronation and Zazu's like, who oh, is slippery as your mind is. And, you know, 
people just insulting him all the time and they're like you have to come meet Simba and he's like oh I'll practice my curtsy like it's yeah. just sort of relentlessly from the beginning a sense of like mm-hmm. you are weird um it kind of it fed into like a broader question that this movie mm. <laughs> I, I believe I texted you I have ethical issues with the Lion King um at the time yeah. <laughs> which, which was a an amazing text to receive I was like a shocking announcement <laughs> <laughs> well because <laughs> Like, basically, what I found myself asking was, is disrupting succession gay? (gasps) Is being an anti-monarchist gay in Disneyland? Disney, not the theme park, but the land of Disney movies. (laughs) Um, Because really, that is the only thing Scar does, is like, I want to be king instead. I mean, and then he kills to get it. But then it's just like this very sort of like pre- modern sense of like and because he's a bad king the land literally dies what did he do to cause this and why is it magically fixed when simba's king again we don't god i guess like it's just absurd and i just like i felt very aware that like you know the other movies that i watched were about disrupting romance like we were talking Mm. about and like there's Mm. not really a i mean he sort of disrupts a romance in that because Simba runs away, him and Nala don't get together, but then they do get together. Right. But it's really like the thing that he has set himself against is the idea of hereditary monarchy. And instead, he instead of following the rules, he goes and hangs out with his group of weird friends that nobody likes and yes. creates this other community. Mm. And then the sort of like issue is purely that like, mm. I don't know, like I was just like, I th- it was just like fascinating to me I was like this is the system he's disrupting okay. and like that in itself is bad and I I just got like really sidetracked about how much I hate monarchy mostly I know it's rough but okay so let me think about that I'm taking that on board because I think that's a really smart that's a really smart I mean the thing is like is disrupting the succession gay yeah I guess so because because succession is part of the same system succession is heterosexuality because that's that's that yes because like six you know like hereditary right of kings and patriarchy are like from the same sort of font of continuance right if you don't have patriarchal succession then you don't need to get married you can just have sex and not worry about having kids because heirs can come from anywhere right right Um, so yeah Yeah. And so that was just sort of, I mean, I guess it's the other, like, spoiler, the other movie I had was um, The Little Mermaid, where it's, again, it's sort of like, is trying to disrupt, like, the orderly line of succession just gay? Right. Um, But it's also something about, I got really, (laughs) bear with me here, my thesis. Here's my thesis about The Lion King, because we've got the stuff that, like, he's got the camp aesthetic, like, he does a little flurry little dance in his song. Mm. Um, <laughs> about him, Zazu says, there's one in every family. Um, so, you know, there's all of the sort of like aesthetics of that. Mm. But He's sort of wearing eyeliner for a lion. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, it's of... just the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and he gets really, it's like, he's not, there's this whole, there's all this sort of language about like, he's not a real I mean, the implication is man, but like, he's not a real lion. He hangs out with yeah. the wrong kinds of people. He doesn't look, he's the wrong color scheme. Like he's not good at, mm. I think they even say it as much. It's just like, you're not a real, you're not really one of us. Um, so there's all that. 
but it's also that like I think the thing that I makes disrupting the succession queer aside from the brilliant point you just made that it is also fundamentally about disrupting heterosexual sort of procreation is like mm. his problem is desire he wants the wrong things which is to be king and when Simba is a little kid he also wants to be king and the lesson he has to learn is you can't want it you have to just get it because you know I mean I just can't wait to be sick king is a great yeah, yeah, song yeah. but it's also like that's bad he's not supposed to feel that way and so he has mm-hmm. to sort of go out into the wilderness and only when he can see kingship as a sort of burden that he must reluctantly accept as an inheritance oh from God. his father is he fit to be king so sort of fundamentally the Ooh. whole kind of conflict of the movie is misplaced and inappropriate desire and longing that's so good it just fucked me up <laughs> I'm really, I'm really, really undone by that. That's brilliant. I mean, it's worth noting that I watched this film uh, late at night. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, that's brilliant. I think that is kind of where it comes in with like a lot of the like 90s Disney villains, late 80s, 90s Mm. Disney villains is like, Mm. it's queer, not just because of their, aesthetics but again in like a problematic way it's like they're coded as desiring the wrong things in the wrong way yeah well and since you since you kind of referenced it in passing that point that you just made uh, that's Jafar too isn't it yeah that's so what I was thinking like, about as well yeah, yeah he wants it's almost to be attached yeah yeah he's got that same aesthetic but also the real problem is he wants to be king when he shouldn't be yeah, because he's not even in the family. Like, yeah. he's, you know, yeah. People who want more power than they are designed to have by the world that they're living in is a recurring theme, I think. And there's For something sure. really, I mean, I think this is why it's like I can't hate this trope because it's like yeah. the super traditionalist, like heteropatriarchal systems that these movies uphold as good, especially that was what was really getting me in The Lion King. It's just like it is an good. unquestioned good that the monarchy exists. The world literally falls apart and dies if Mufasa is not king. And these hyenas who are also part of this ecosystem, it's like, no, fuck off, go away. You don't deserve to not starve because you're not part of like our system. That's <laughs> true. It is, um, yeah, but it's that's a, brilliant. It, in this system, the villains are the people who this system says, no, 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 you go, you belong on the outside and you're wanting to be inside of this is wrong. Get out. <laughs> Yeah. And if you yeah, come yeah, inside yeah. our thing, you're going to wreck it. Yeah. Hmm. And so it's like, yeah, but on the one hand, you're like, yes, good. <laughs> Tear it down. Yeah, that's really good. That's really interesting. I feel like we can carry that forward into, into I, I think we can spread that across the whole sort of toast of this of just like <laughs> this podcast the, toast this podcast toast if you will <laughs> the butter is <laughs> cool. yeah question the fact that the fact that the monarchy of lions in mm-hmm. this thing isn't yeah the system as an unquestioned good I feel like is something that Disney takes for granted mm-hmm. in what it presents to children in, mo- in most of these systems is in most of these movies is like mm-hmm. the system whether it's like you know whether it's like the African jungle or like you know something you know Aladdin or whatever it is is like the people who are in power are deserve to have it yeah I mean even when you get to like 
the supposedly sort of radical new movies like Moana and stuff. It's mm. like the fact that their tribe is a monarchy is never in question. The fact totally. that these good people deserve power is never right. a question. Right. The higher the system of hierarchy is never dismantled. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's really interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good segue into our next um villain one of yes it is my favorites one of your favorites surely one of everyone's favorites Hades in Hercules my dude yeah okay let's talk about Hades I mean that was that was very nice and it was an excellent segue because so much of what you were just saying about the unquestioned good of the power structure also here's the thing is we all we all love Hades we all know Hades he's the god of the literal underworld structurally he has a domain it is sad and it sucks. And what he actually wants is to like be part of the actual world, not the literal underworld. He wants to like, be where the people are. He wants, he wants to be, to if be. you will. <laughs> I mean, like he wants to be part of a society of gods. Like he's alone with an enormous three-headed dog. Like he's alone with all of the dead souls. Like there is no Persephone in this version of like there isn't a woman there isn't a queen of the underworld he is the queen of the underworld (laughs) and he's he's alone so I feel like yeah I mean there's just so much to say about Hades but something that you kind of just put me in mind of that was really obvious to me when I rewatched it was that he feels gay because the Disney Hercules, the Disney vision of Zeus goes so far out of its way to turn Zeus into a a monogamous heterosexual family man, (laughs) which is not what Zeus is. And so it's so interesting because watching it, that was really apparent to me of like, what you've done is create at the very beginning, what the movie sets up is this is a heterosexual, happy nuclear family. It's two, it's the God and goddess of, of, you know, marriage. It's like mom and dad Mm -hmm. and they're like glowing and happy. And here's their adorable baby. And all of the other gods are happy for them, blah, blah, blah and then here's this like you know shithead who rocks up and resents their happiness but it's interesting because that's not like they made that choice that's not what Zeus is yeah you know like in mythology super super not what Hera is no funny to me and also just the way that they're animated even of just like they're they're super like wholesome and American mm-hmm. you know and I was like okay well if that's what we're doing here you know then then it's similar it's the kind of like there's Mufasa and Simba and then here's your weird uncle it's like Hades is that weird uncle mm-hmm. um so yeah so the other thing that really made me think about it is that Hades sort of trades on like He's everybody's favorite villain because he's the funniest one. Yeah. And that made me think about whether or not trading on your wit rather than your strength is a queer coded trait in Disney. Mm, that's you know what I mean? Because the thing is like often the sidekicks have it, but it's yeah. interesting for a villain to have it. And I feel like it helps make him feel queer is that the other gods are literally gods. They have godlike abilities, like they're strong and like, you know, that's, that's like, but he, his thing is that he like, you know, 
talks a mile a minute and is like, I read an interesting thing about the movie when I was kind of like doing some very light research about the fact that um, really what the, what the writing team and like directing team of Hercules were trying to do is they want, their reference was like 1930s, like screwball Hollywood. Oh yeah, for him and for Meg. For him and for Meg and kind of like the whole sort of structure of them. That's and that's, really it is interesting because it's that kind of like American wisecracking, fast talking thing. Yeah. Because I've always yeah. thought of the key reference point as being like 90s fame, like sports fame culture. That too, I think. Yeah. Um, like celebrity and stuff. Yeah. But that's really interesting because obviously they explicitly raised that with Scar as well in The Lion King mm. where there's sort of, there's some moment when him and Mufasa are like, kind of menacing each other and then he immediately relents and is like no no I know you'd win in a fight like my brother got the brawn and I got the brains but he says it in a wittier way and his sort of physical weakness as he then kind of stalks off petulantly is like part of exactly his various failings and various kind of like outsider-ness yeah exactly it's like part of the mood and this yeah I mean and even in the gods that tracks the thing of like you have this like incredibly muscular like happy sort of glowing like vision of everybody's dad it's also Rip Torn's voice (laughs) which is so funny to me I was just like oh my god what an insane Zeus choice but like you know you have this incredibly strong wholesome image and then there's this other guy and all he has is like jokes 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 Mm -hmm. yeah you know that feels a little queer yeah yeah I mean it's the classic defense defense mechanism but I mean I think it's queer in conjunction with other things about his sort of yeah vibe and delivery and things like that yeah yeah for sure for sure Um, and also I mean I think the point that you raised about sorry not to like no, no. on your your segment. No, no, please. Is the contrast of like, you know, they're adapting the myths very freely to make yes. Zeus and Hera a happy couple, a happy and couple. also like then the choice in conjunction to that too, as you say, there's not mm-hmm. uh, Persephone. He's not married, mm, so they've not chosen not to have two parallel sort of couples, but instead. Yes, a lone man who exists literally alone mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, and I mean, like, all he has are absolute, absolutely useless, like, goblin underlings and the fates who are, like, three crazy old things, old female things. But yeah, yeah. he's, like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the weird thing of this might be extrapolating in a more sort of psychological way than they intend, but I feel like the point of Hades is that he's just he not unlike Maleficent who I'll touch on later he starts the issue by not being invited to a party (laughs) you know and and Scar starts the issue by skipping a party (laughs) totally I don't know it's interesting because I feel like that sets up a thing of like is this a lonely old gay who actually just wants to belong to a community and has been exiled yeah yeah but yes like I feel yeah. like with him and Scar is just him Maleficent and like all it's like mm-hmm. yes you made this outsider you did yes. this right you the community did this like you gave them a realm and it's your fault if they don't always want to stay in it alone yeah and it's fascinating that that is never at any point something that these movies try and like acknowledge or like, like integrate into the no. storytelling no it's just like these people deserve to be alone is the assumption of the structure 
yeah. of just like, no, you're the God of the underworld. Stay downstairs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. you're, you're the weak lion with a, you know, with a British accent, you aren't allowed into. I mean, it was interesting to me, like as even with Scar as well, just like thinking as one should not about the actual kind of like structure of real life lion pride. It's weird for there to be two male lions hanging around. Like he should be off yeah. alone. Yeah. Having his own totally kind of pack, but he instead just has his little gay pack of hyenas. Ooh, yeah, he made a pack so of the wrong kind of people. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like there is just like a bigger, it's, there are these even, yeah, going back to Captain Hook again, who yes. doesn't sort of map on quite as neatly as these later ones, but clearly he they doesn't. began to find a model. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they're like, well, this works great. Let's just repeat it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That was sort of what I, I, I'll I'll probably keep looping back to Captain Hook a little bit because that was one of the most puzzling things about it was it does feel like a, like such a queer totem in such a certain way because his flamboyance, I think kind Mm -hmm. of trickles down, but structurally he does, he has a different place than most of these other people because he lives in a fantasy world not a world of like I don't know there isn't there isn't a monarchy in Peter Pan it's like a weirdly egalitarian struggle between yeah, the well, different there bands of people there isn't an adult community for him to be excluded from he is the only adult in the room he, exactly exactly yeah. yeah yeah it's definitely different but as you say like aesthetically and sort of like tonally he mm-hmm. matches and I wonder if it's something to do going with the thing about vulnerability that we said before like there's moments in like when I was a kid um I was my little sister was terrified of the beginning of Aladdin we couldn't watch it because it was so freaking scary and it's scary and I was afraid of the beginning of Beauty and the Beast because I thought the witch was scary and it's like it's such a fine line with kids of like Mm. you need how can you have a villain who's not going to make the kids too scared to watch the movie? And yeah. I think maybe humor is a way of sort of defanging. They can threaten, but also you can then laugh at them. And having that super yeah. dramatic and flamboyant sort of delivery helps you sort of straddle that line where they can be really like evil, yes. but then you can also laugh at them. Yes, totally. So I wonder if it's almost yeah. like a practical kind of yeah, trick a practical concern of like keep the kids in the room yeah like this is yeah. a way to sort of walk this line and then once they worked that out they were like oh great well let's just keep doing that then because mm. otherwise you end up with someone like Claude Frollo in Hunchback of Notre Dame and you're just like what the hell and then you're like this is a psychosexual nightmare <laughs> you're like, what have you made <laughs> right well yeah even though it's not Disney what you just made me think of is that the final sort of apex predator of the thing that it that rides the line that is so scary that you can keep laughing at it is sort of Rasputin and Anastasia yes yeah you know because he's deeply horrifying yeah. but also like maybe the maybe the most I don't know also very funny so he's yeah. really goofy and that like tracks, never yeah. he's so I mean literally falling apart yeah exactly both like a bit of physical humor and also you're like I'm not really scared of you because you're yeah. no. incompetent exactly mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a great that's a great example as well <laughs> as a Disney knockoff you know as a Disney knockoff yeah as a Disney sort of companion piece I suppose he's in he's in conversation with in all, conversation. Of these, all yeah. these other people yeah but it's interesting that like maybe it's not even but I think it's like the result whatever the reason is this sort of like coding of the outsiders Yes. Yeah. And the thing, again, something else, another sort of strand of DNA that I found in Hades was this thing of like, 
uh, cock blocking the hero is not his main concern. Overturning the power structure is his main concern. But he has a little bit of that Captain Hook energy of knowing how to manipulate heterosexual love mm-hmm. as a tool in order to get what he wants. And it's only because he understands Meg that he's able to do that. So yeah, there's he's... an interesting thing there. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of the different. It's like sets him and it sets him and Captain Hook apart from like Jafar, yeah. whose sort of plan yes. involves meddling in the love triangle so that he can have the woman for himself it's interesting the yes. movies that sort of i was struck that the lion king likewise doesn't really sort of make scar try and hook up with any of the i mean like rationally he would be but like right. that's not the goal it's not like he's like and now nala's mine no he does not give a shit no it's interesting because that's the thing is like captain hook and hades both use the women as pieces on the chessboard to be like if i can use this woman to get the hero to do what i need them to do then i can kill them which is my actual goal yeah yeah i just reminded i meant to do a sidebar about the lion king that i then forgot to do and have just remembered do but it. talking about Nala reminded me because there are some characters who are jealous of Nala and that is our gay subplot of Timon and Pumbaa. Oh, that's true. They're not villains, but I just had to give them a shout out because mm. they are the sort of, they fit the mold that we've talked about this whole podcast of like, you know, in a domestic partnership. And then this woman comes who's going to disrupt their thruple and they get really upset about mm. it and sing a whole sad song about it. That's true. Yeah, and Ooh, they're just like, they're the only force that. of like reject monarchy, forget that shit. We were exiled by our communities and actually it's better. That's brilliant. I had never really thought about that, but that's totally true is that they like raise Simba as one of their own and mm-hmm. then heterosexuality comes a Colin and he's like taken away from them and they're sad. Yeah, they literally cry and then they go and help him of because course. it's a Disney movie. But yeah, so I just wanted to give a shout out to them even though they're not a villain mm. because- um, it's sort of an alternate, but also rejected model of gays wandering off to live with other species in a way that society deems inappropriate. 100%. Yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that about does it for Hades, but there's, you know, he continues in the sort of line of theatricality, but kind of like does a thing of his own that I find really sort of poignant and interesting, which is that thing of like, you know he's sort of exiled gay as a stand-up comic which is like almost a type you know the thing of just like there's there's something there's something poignant to me about the consistent effort to undermine to make fun of and undermine the world that you secretly want to join yeah yeah which is what he spends all of his time doing yeah I mean I guess maybe that's the other reason they like are so flamboyant is because it's like you can't have like a reasoned critique of these systems because they're the critiques are too close to correct so you have to find a way to be like dismissing it out of hand yeah 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 that's interesting I'm still really stuck on the whole kind of overarching point about the fact that even though the villains get to be funny and kind of likable even in their way maybe to keep kids from being scared of them we're never supposed to take their their critiques of the structures seriously no like Disney doesn't want us to but like here we are sort of here we are defying them by taking this (laughs) by taking the critique seriously I mean because I mean to be fair it's also that they don't have critiques I mean that's part of it is that like they their critique is I'm not the person in power right there's there's rarely like a deeper I mean I think that that kind of points at deeper problems because as we say it points to the fact that like okay you've set up your pantheon and exiled someone to live alone underground forever Mm -hmm. Or, you know, 
you reject Scar for no apparent reason. Mm-mm. Like, we're just meant to accept that this is just because he's yeah. sexy and British mm-hmm. and didn't mm-hmm. come to the party. And <laughs> um, again, like, I don't think Captain Hook quite fits in in the same way, but, right. you know, with these other, like, Jafar, again, it's like, yeah. we have no indication the Sultan's a good king or that, <laughs> like, whatever moron he marries Jasmine to will yeah. be a good sultan either so are you wrong yeah exactly but exactly which maybe which i don't know maybe segues into your next yeah so um, i've already i've already given away who this is going to be which is ursula from the little mermaid and this is an interesting one because she fits into this same super flamboyant, super dramatic aesthetic, but she's a woman, which is fun because most of the female villains, which we'll talk about, have a very different vibe than that. Um, But at the same time, it's sort of like, is she a woman or (laughs) is she a drag persona? Um, Because obviously, or perhaps not obviously, um, she is based on the famous 80s drag queen Divine, um, very, very directly. like the whole the makeup the hair like every the face like all of all of her sort of looks are divine um and apparently the other influence was the character Norma Desmond so (laughs) I think for just the like flamboyance and it's actually I was like reading about sort of the development of the character and I mean it's like the list of actors that they wanted and then got and then fired um are just like I mean it is a it is a drag night lineup. It is Joan Collins, mm. Arthur, and Elaine Stritch. Oh my God. The three original, they wanted Joan Collins or B. Arthur. They hired Elaine Stritch and then they fired her. Um, Who does it? Who does do it? Uh, oh no, I had the name and now I've lost it. Um, she's wow, not so as famous crazy. as any of them. Okay. Uh, I was just curious. If it's not relevant, that's fine. It's just, that's so, that's so interesting that- all of those women had the job and then did it? Yeah, uh, Pat Carroll. Well, so okay. Joan Collins and B. Arthur never, they were offered it and either turned it down or like didn't go for it. And then um, Elaine Stritch got fired because um, apparently Howard Ashman, who was obviously one of the composers, um, was so particular about how the song Poor Unfortunate Souls was to be performed that and Elaine mm. Stritch wouldn't do it the way that he wanted it done so they fired her um oh. and then they got in uh this other actor um uh Pat Carroll who has said like I she was like I asked Ashman to perform it for me and then I just did it exactly the way he did it and the mm. animators animated it exactly the way he did it. So mm. even down to the performance level, mm. it's basically it's a drag amazing. act. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, which huh. I, and Howard Ashman obviously was gay as well. Mm. So like, I just feel like on a sort of DNA level, Ursula that's is brilliant. a gay man yeah. dressed as a woman. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just the sort of like every single part of her sort of lineage is these sort of like soap opera, Mm. like classic Hollywood just sort of like super camp flamboyant kind of again like drag queen adjacent personas yeah um and yeah I just thought that was really I was just like well there it is really um (laughs) brilliant not uh yeah 
Um, and then again, she's here to ruin both heterosexual love and the monarchy because she wants to be queen of the, the ocean, sea? the whole ocean. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, unclear, but she wants to be queen of it. And, you know, and there's something as well about like the kind of um, either drag queen or sort of like gruff old lesbian who like wants this pretty young woman's literal voice yeah. and, you know, wants to kind of become her. And there's something sort of weird and predatory, but also sort of not yes. super straight feeling about that. Yes. Yes. Um, so it's, yeah, it felt like a really interesting sort of like mm. different version of this same sort of super... Uh, flamboyant aesthetic that we're kind of seeing in these male villains kind of transposed onto this female villain mm-hmm. and kind of yeah turned into this drag adjacent mm-hmm. persona instead mm. that's so interesting because it's sort of double trouble it's like because mm-hmm. she's sort of both a man and a woman she gets to sort of but she has all of the theatricality of mm-hmm. like what we've seen mostly as the male villains so Mm -hmm. far and yet there's also you know I don't know the double troubleness of wanting to disrupt the heterosexual love and overthrow the monarchy yeah and sort of seduce Ariel in this weird way yes yes um which is Mm. really yeah it's interesting I mean and it feels sort of like telling that they're the first the first major female villain and arguably the only great female villain is one that is mm. made in the mold of the male villains instead. Mm. And maybe that's actually a good transition into what some of the mm. other female villains are like. And then we can kind of bounce back a little bit between the two. Sure, sure. But I mean, sort of even before we do that, I'm, I'm thinking something that you just said made me think about how like, the weirdness of it is a seduction, her sort of seduction of Ariel. And then the fact that she sort of turns into her, but in a weird different version, I'm thinking about the fact that what ends up happening about her being a drag persona Mm -hmm. about even when she becomes a really like acceptable, beautiful looking woman, Mm -hmm. there's something unconvincing about that woman. Mm. You know, I'm just interested in that. They kind of find her, she looks in the mirror and her reflection is Ursula instead of yeah that's really I don't think they ever say the character's name but yeah that's really interesting though that that thing of like she she goes on in the disguise of a beautiful heterosexual woman to win the man only as part of her scheme to become queen of everything yeah definitely and you know what I mean like her her the the disguise is creed there's something weird and queer about the disguise yeah well and also it's like the disguise is Ariel's voice like she does it's it is both the actress who plays Ariel doing the voice but also it's like you know that's how she is doing it is she's got the there's a part at the end where they sort of take away the like you know necklace that she's got the voice hidden in and then she speaks and it's her own like deep you know butch voice Mm, and like she looks so interesting so embarrassed but it's also interesting because even though the whole kind of thing is like Prince Eric heard Ariel singing when she saved him and he wants to, it's like Cinderella. He wants to marry the woman who has this voice and yet she clearly has to put some kind of trance like put yeah. him on under some kind of spell to get him to marry her. It's like yeah. she still can't pull it off without yeah. these like tricky alternate magic, she's, like yeah. not heterosexual enough to pull it off. No, no, she's not. That's super interesting. Mm. She just wants yeah. the sham marriage. She wants that lavender marriage. I mean, she Eric is very, marriage. very gay I mean. as well, to be fair. He's just a sweet soft boy with a flute and a dog. Yeah, strong swimmer, very beautiful. Just, yeah. you know. 
<laughs> he has a girlfriend who lives under the ocean. You'll meet her someday. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely real. She just yeah. lives under the ocean. She's um, a mermaid, but she's real. But she's real. <laughs> anyway, he's going to go walk on the beach and play his flute for a while. <laughs> Wow. I haven't seen that movie in many years since I was probably a literal child. So I forgot about that part. And that is ding, 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 ding. Very nice. (laughs) (laughs) So really, that's the real reason he needs to be under a spell to marry a woman. But she doesn't know that. She doesn't. Um, Yeah. But do you want to maybe start moving us into some of the other ladies? Absolutely. Okay. So for my kind of final segment of this shindig, I've grouped together three villains that I have cumulatively titled the lonely old bitches. And <laughs> Which, they are- I mean, as I feel like the point we've reached is that in fact, that can describe all of the characters. True. Because of course, that's the other thing about Ursula is she is also sort of exiled. She has like this Alone. one throwaway line where she's like, oh, when I lived at the palace, it was great. And like, you know, there's just like weird- She's fat. She's an octopus. Like she doesn't fit the like chiseled, beautiful, skinny mermaid mold in any respect. (laughs) She's fat. She's an octopus. I mean, she's amazing. I know. I know. That's just incredible. I'm, I'm dead from that, but it's just because everyone in the movie is topless. So I got really aware of like people, like there's just one scene where King Triton's like hugging Ariel and you could see his like weird back muscles. And I'm like, I, I didn't need that in my life. No one did. No one did. But yeah, I mean, also the, the fact that the fact that she's fat is interesting. I, I think about that, about the fact mm-hmm. that like part of the disguise is also like, look, I look like a, like a palatably attractive heterosexual woman now. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's, that's part, it's not like she doesn't keep Ursula's body and then have a pretty, like, you know, have a like yeah. non-sea witch face and a nice voice. So yeah, it, all of that is woven into it. But yeah, so the other women, um, the head, the head three lonely old bitches, are in order: the evil queen from Snow White, who has no other name; she's just the evil queen. Uh, Cinderella's st- uh, stepmother, whose name is Lady Tremaine, though you'd never know it, and uh, and Maleficent, of course, uh, the most iconic of them all. And I will kind of break them down individually, but also cumulatively. There is never a man, none of them have one, and express no interest in having in having one. Like, it's not part of their whatever. Um, probably just because of how fucked culture is and because they're not young. But also, um, their primary interest is disrupting heterosexual love out of jealousy. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to break it down kind of sequentially, Snow White's evil queen is chronologically the first villain she's the first disney villain Mm -hmm. she's obsessed her sort of thing is vanity as we all know she's obsessed with being the most beautiful and it's interesting to me because obviously that movie was made in 1937 Mm -hmm. (laughs) so what's so crazy about it is that like looking back at her scenes I was like wow she's she's glam in a really like 1930s dawn of the 40s like strong powerful woman way like she looks like Mm -hmm. Barbara Stanwyck like you know what I mean like I was looking at her face and I was like Jesus Christ like that's a strong lip and a dark eyeshadow and like kind of a shoulder pad Mm -hmm. um so she's powerful solitary and full of irrational hate for young women who are more beautiful than her and then there's (laughs) which like you know okay I mean I just turned 30 I get it (laughs) 
<laughs> we're all full of irrational hate now. We're all <laughs> the lonely old bitches now. But the thing about it is like, uh, what you said, this, Ursula is a great segue for a number of reasons, but one of them is this thing about the sort of predatory seduction of younger women by older women is something that happens with two, I think, out of three of these lonely old bitches. That's a that's a that's a a queen, an evil queen thing, and a maleficent thing. And I'll get to mm. maleficent because she's the most interesting. Just to really tip my hand here, but the evil queen, like. On, she, I mean, you know, she completely changes her, once she realizes that Snow White's still alive, uh, you know, she completely changes her body, again, with the disguise thing, kind of a la Ursula, mm. but in the opposite direction. She becomes um, an incredibly ancient hag, and in that persona, literally, like, seduces in the most stereotypical stranger danger, have a bite of this food style <laughs> way, you know, like, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a predatory it's a it's a predatory action she shows up at snow white's house in a really creepy way and gets her to eat an apple and yeah she's um she's creepy in a weird in a weird way and also like her her form of cock blocking the heterosexual love which like her kind of version of that like she literally her plan once she learns that the spell that she's going to put on snow white can be disrupted by the you know, the whole sort of love's first kiss thing. Her plan, she's like, oh, that's groovy because I'm just, they're, they're, they'll think she's dead and they'll bury her alive. Like her vindictiveness is to the degree where she's like, we'll just bury her alive. And then she like keels over cackling. Yeah. You and know. you're like, holy shit. Like you're, yeah, that's predatory to the degree that like for her own wicked ends, she's super happy with ending this with ending this girl's life by burying her alive it's awful it's also really interesting that it's like it's not vanity that goes anywhere it's not like no. there's a man she's trying to seduce you know Brilliant. what I mean yes. like exactly like in other I feel like in a more modern version of the story it would mm. be, oh she wants to be beautiful because she you know mm -hmm. has to seduce mm -hmm. Snow White's dad or something like I feel like that's exactly mean I mean that's the evil stepmother thing right it's like right right Right. And the thing, well, the thing about it that's so weird is that she doesn't fit, the evil queen doesn't fit in any model because it's just pure hatred. Yeah. She doesn't, she already has power. She's the queen. No one <laughs> ever, like, she's already on the throne. She's visibly aging. Like. No, she's not. She's sort of stunning. And she doesn't, there's nothing she wants. Like you said, it's not even like there's no love that she wants and there's no greater power that she wants. She just wants to destroy this younger woman just because. Yeah. Which is very weird. So like the Cinderella, the Cinderella thing, that woman, the evil stepmother, Lady Tremaine, um, falls into a slightly different category because she's not beautiful in the way that the other two are. Mm -hmm. she's, a, she's a severe old cat lady with mm -hmm. a cat named Lucifer. <laughs> it, mm -hmm. like you know and her kind of of the three of them because cinderella is not because because she doesn't have any magic she's just a mean old lady you know like her disrupting of the heterosexual love sort of goes so far as trying to keep cinderella to from going to a party and then locking her in an attic later mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like you know those measures turn out to be ineffectual and her jealousy is on is by proxy it's on the behalf of her kind of gross looking daughters mm -hmm. So she is a slightly different vibe, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I do think it's interesting. I mean, it's just like classic Disney. I feel like the whole thing of the step family in most yeah. versions of Cinderella is that they're beautiful. 
and that right. they're just horrible people. Mm, <laughs> but of course, Disney yeah. has to be like, no, they're ugly. That's how you know yeah. they're bad. Totally. Yeah. Because it's like moral impurity translates to lack of hotness. Always. I mean, I think, can you give a little more, Mm. why are these guys on the list? Well, because of their, because of this thing of, I don't know, we've been talking about exile this whole time. And it's like, Mm. because they don't fit into, I mean, Maleficent is literally exiled. We'll get to that too. Like she's like, you know, on in a separate thing. And it's weird because Snow White's evil queen is on the top of the power structure and yet she's still full of rage. It's like their solitary status, I think partly puts them on the list. And in terms of thinking about the, they are as outside of heterosexuality as all of these male villains that we've been talking about. Mm. And instead of trying to manipulate young women and their romantic interests in order to get ahead, like the men seem to do, Mm. they just want to kill them (laughs) and there there is something there is a kind of seduction an evil version and you used that word with Ursula and Ariel and I think it's the right one is that I think it tracks with some of these others too Maleficent in particular but also the Snow White Queen with the apple you know the thing of like there is a seduction happening but it's disconnected from advancement it's you know what it's like instead of the of the Hades thing or maybe the Scar or Jafar thing of the end goal being to overturn a power structure so that they can be on top you know Mm -hmm. because like what Hades wants is to rule Olympus what Scar wants is the kingdom like they want what the good guys have but Mm -hmm. these ladies know that they'll never be invited to the real society so they just want to ruin it Nice. And I think that's interesting. It tracks more with the evil queen and particularly Maleficent than the the Cinderella stepmother, but their like need to, to ruin the young woman hero Mm -hmm. isn't because they think that it'll help them get what she has. It's mostly because they just don't want her to have it. (laughs) It's just, it's just vengeance. Yeah, yeah. For, for not being invited to the party. In Maleficent's case, that's literal. Yeah, she's, why don't you? I mean, like, yeah. She's, I mean, like, Maleficent is, I mean, there's a reason why she's sort of the one that gets spinoff movies, I feel like, is that there's <laughs> something, there's, I mean, Maleficent is a, is a, a queer a queer icon she lives alone in a castle with a crow and ruins people's lives for literally generations due to not being invited to a party. <laughs> I mean, I mean, gays love parties. Listen, leave leave us out of the party at your own risk, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> but yeah, Maleficent is like, huh, she's really, she's really, really powerful. And she's way more glam than the wholesome fairies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because the wholesome fairies are like little grandmas. Yeah. You know, basically. And Maleficent is like, she's, she's really, really glam. Obviously there's no, there's no counterpart. There's no dude Maleficent. There's no man Mm -hmm. in sight. That's not what she wants. It's Mm. just petty. It's just petty vengeance. And, and something that's even weirder, I think, is that getting to the end of that one, it's not just 
she she has some of the camp of Captain Hook and of Hades and of and like she's more camp than I think you remember like she's less mm. sort of cold and wooden than the other women yeah that's she my memory of her for sure totally she has like the glam of the snow white evil queen but with the sort of wryness of maybe scar almost you know mm. and her version of disrupting the heterosexual romance besides the like 16 year long campaign to get sleeping beauty to touch the spindle or whatever it, her final kind of knockdown drag out move is kidnapping the hero the the male the man kidnapping the man locking him in a dungeon and then personally going to visit him to torment him about how old he'll be when she lets him out of prison. I like that age is like, it's like, oh, you're going to be so old. <laughs> yeah. And so like decrepit and unable to like, you know, and then like the tragedy that she paints for him is like, oh yeah, well, fine. You can wait until you're a hundred and she'll still be young and beautiful and you'll be old and, and like falling apart and ugly boom like I don't know it's the cruelest disruption of heterosexual love that mm -hmm. is attempted I think is probably hers yeah no that's really interesting yeah. I mean it's just that whole the as you say the, the it's almost like the pettiness so yeah. like, there's, no, there's no reason for this no no there's no just reason wanna. it's wildly out of proportion that's kind of why like to be fair I was like okay well we're going through the villains like the women are interesting because they're sort of they don't get to be as funny they're cold where the men get to be more theatrical the women are cold mm -hmm. but that's sort of an interesting commentary in and of itself and I kind of went into it being like okay well should they be on the list but the more mm -hmm. I thought about it the more I was like okay well this is some petty shit maybe so I don't know what do you think yeah, I mean, it's hard to say those are the movies I know least in the first place. And yeah. not having rewatched them recently through this lens, it's hard to say. But yeah, I mean, I think that like as we've this sort of dichotomy that we've been setting up all along is and the mm. fact that we don't see any of their husbands, even though certainly Lady Tremaine is, was mar married twice. There's no mm. reason really the good versions of Cinderella where Cinderella's dad is there mm. um, and is just useless. And so the decision, as with Hades, to kind of deliberately yeah. set a single loner person against the edifice of heterosexuality and have exactly. their only mission be like, I'm going to burn this down. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, again, with any of them not even build in a sort of subplot of like, oh, it's because they're in love and they want the, you know, she yeah. wants the prince for herself. Like that would no. fit. <laughs> And in Maleficent's case, she's the only one that goes so far as she personally has a fight with the prince. It yeah. turns into a fight between her and him over saving the girl. Yeah. And like, she turns into a dragon. <laughs> like, Maleficent is just like, nah, fuck this. Like, literally, like, when you said burn it down, like, literally burn it down. Yeah, she's like, like okay, I'm a dragon, so how about fire? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's like, yeah. there's, something, there's something that's a little bit like, you go about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, we'll just, yeah, the sort of the frigid old lesbian who, you know, exactly. lives alone with her crow and yeah, hates yeah. young, pretty straight girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Enough happens. to try to ruin their lives for 16 whole years. <laughs> mm -hmm. With yeah, undeterred. Yeah. <laughs> undeterred. So I think that's a good transition maybe into our last villain who isn't, who began life as a villain and then was... Mm changed and that is Elsa in Frozen mm. who in original drafts of the movie 
was a more sort of conventional Disney antagonist who used her ice powers to sort of, you know, ruin the life of the pretty young heroine. And then, I mean, so the story goes, mm. the um, composers brought to the director and the writers the song Let It Go, <laughs> which we all know. And they listened to it and they were like, this song is completely wrong for this character and so incredible. We will, we're, we have to rewrite the character so that we can use this song. That's and I think genius. it's really interesting because I think it gets at exactly the problem that, um, or not even like the problem, but the sort of thread we've been tracing through this whole episode, which is that by design, if you begin to have any genuine, if you begin to take the character, these villains isolation seriously at all, the entire yeah. edifice of the movie falls apart because suddenly you're like, wait, why, why does Scar have to live alone? And right. everyone's mean to him all the time. Right. And obviously that like, let it go is about embrace, you know, rejecting the things that you've been told are good and embracing the power that's inside of yourself, but in a wholly positive way. And if any, if that level of positive, like, it's just that, it, I think it proves the point entirely that as soon as you show that level of sort of respect for those feelings mm. and embrace the idea of power with anything but fear, suddenly mm. they can't be villains anymore. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's so interesting. She does sort of break the mold because I was thinking like, well, speaking of coldness, we just had yes. the whole conversation about cold women. And now here's this like, you know, girl <laughs> living in an ice castle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, she sort of tries to make herself into a classic Disney villainess by going and yeah. living alone in an ice castle. And then her family comes and rescues her and is like, no, you know, be part of the community. We want you here. Right. And it is like a sort of interesting rebuke to the way that Disney villains have been set up kind of mm. this whole time, including mm. the fact that she is like super gay. Like it's yeah. just everyone agrees. <laughs> um, it's just the whole, I mean, let it go is a coming out song. Like it's just wholly about not Ooh. understanding why you've always felt so isolated and then suddenly not only recognizing, but embracing and loving the thing yeah. that makes you different. Yeah. Um, and then- yeah in the end because it's Disney like it that's okay and you could be queen anyway right mm, yeah that's really good that's so interesting because she is such a that's maybe that is that maybe they've learned their lesson sort of maybe that's the kind of modern repudiation of the you know of the kind of tropes of years past but maybe not <laughs> I think I mean in the sense that, like of course they're not going to give her they're not going to give her a female love interest nor yeah. do I think they should um because I don't want to see that it'll be bad um True. True. <laughs> it'll like I think it'll you know whatever but like yeah I think I think you are kind of right it's the idea that like as soon as you sort of like approach mm. the outsider with empathy you yeah. can incorporate them into the you know patriarchal monarchies of <laughs> Disney movies and isn't that great but it is like it, it it is just fascinating to me. Yeah, it's just as soon as they heard this song, they're like, well, she's not a villain now. Those things can't coexist. We can't sort of not. Genius. Yes. Because yeah. in fact, the sort of the thing that many of the villains want and the sort of loneliness and isolation that they feel is eminently sympathetic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. If you looked at it for even a tiny bit longer, because that's, yeah, maybe that's their sort of mistake is that, because I think if you looked at, as you've pointed out, if you look at any of these for longer than a single second, you're sort of like, oh, well, that's actually a really like sort of justifiable position. And why does the world have to be structured this way in order to keep this person out? <laughs> yeah. Know? And it's and like, I mean, why, how on earth has Scar led to the like desiccation of the grasslands? That doesn't seem like something he has power over. 
No, it really doesn't, does it? Yeah, I, the, the, your sort of point about the reassertion of monarchy. Well, yeah. <laughs> is, really, is really interesting to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it doesn't, it, 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 yeah, it's, it, but it's, it's just interesting to me that it's like they, yeah, they sort of find a way to reincorporate the sort of queer coded loneliness of Elsa mm. and mm. conceive it not as a threat to, but as a kind of, acceptable part you know it's like no no you can sort of be welcomed back in you can be sort of a person who feels lonely but in fact will teach you that you're part of the community right that's interesting it's sort of a it's sort of a rehabilitation um it's if someone just went to scar and was like hey man it's okay yeah yeah it's interesting because it's like so I don't remember, can you just take me through sort of the ending of Frozen a little bit? Because I've only seen it once. Um, what happens exactly to her in the end? Well, so there's like a series of events, but basically there's right. like a great big chase. She like sort of did this spell and her sister has this like, is like turning into ice gradually right, 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 because right. she accidentally cast this spell hmm. and they're like trying to like do something to reverse it and they're running out of time. And then, I mean, setting aside other shit happens her sister turns into ice and she's like so upset and it's like Mm. why didn't this like magic that we were trying to do work to like Mm. stop this from happening um because it was supposed to be like true love and like you know oh no it wasn't this one guy that was her true love but it's also maybe not this other guy but then it turns out it's basically like the true love between sisters and she sort of she unthaws her sister and like restores her back to life and reverses the spell okay interesting yeah interesting there's a lot of stuff going on there I really have seen it well I saw it in the theater with you when it came out indeed uh, it like the uh, Angelica or somewhere really weird like that yeah somewhere like that somewhere like that somewhere way but, too um, kind of like pretentious to be seeing Frozen at <laughs> totally yeah well all I remember was I was very taken with the funny snowman um yes. but that's sort of who I am as a person but uh but, but it is yeah, a sort of it is a it is a, I mean it is a movie that in the vein of kind of post 2000s mm. the kind of Disney princess re-revival is trying to kind of critique itself but in a way that doesn't yeah. sort of fundamentally question the genre so it's like there's jokes about like you think you're in love with this guy you met him two days ago and right, exactly you know then it turns out oh my gosh that guy is the villain and yeah. then, you know, it ends with her not marrying the other guy, but they're sort of like, yeah, we're kind of going to date. Like, it doesn't say that, but you get the sense of like, they're not engaged, yeah. but they're like together and maybe it'll go somewhere. And so it's like sort totally. of, it's, 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 it's like lampshading kind of the things, the, the, the kind of stereotypical critiques of Disney movies while not doing anything at all to address the sort of more fundamental right. problematic things that underpin the entire worldviews of these movies but the sort of totally. yeah the big thing for frozen was like oh my gosh it's not about romantic love romantic it's about love. familial love and it's specifically about love between sisters and there's like actually mm. two female characters who like care about each other and both mm-hmm. are, have personalities right yeah that's interesting that's interesting yeah, and it's just yeah, it's 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 interesting. I feel like it, the thing that happened with Elsa only could happen in a movie that was deciding to kind of step away from having heterosexual love be the kind of fundamental principle, and sort of that's what allows, I guess, the kind of incorporation of the queer character into the kind of heart of the story because it's like mm. the heart of the story isn't heterosexuality, so you can come in because sure you can be queen. We're not really going to think through the implications of succession Mm. in that way because no that's not what this movie is concerned with we're not worried about those things we're worried about the present and we're worried about this family unit 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's sort of, I guess, in a, in a move towards progress, sidesteps the really bedrock issue that you raised about <laughs> monarchy at the heart, the system at the heart of all of these stories. And, and how it has to be heterosexual because otherwise it, it won't function. And how it has to be heterosexual. But still, that's really interesting. That is, that is interesting. I mean, we've come along, we've come a long way from the sort of entirely one dimensional coldness of the, of the evil queen in terms of watching cold women progress through Disney movies. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, because the original like sketches for Elsa when she was still a villain are very in the sort of like Mm -hmm. a skinny Ursula vein, like an Ethel Merman Yzma in Emperor's New Groove was like what I thought of when I saw it. So it's like Brilliant. their minds were going back to the basics, not to the basics of the cold old bitches, but to the basics of, okay, the flamboyant Broadway inspired, yes, you know, villains that have worked so well. Totally. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. And obviously just like as a small grace note, I do have to shout out that Yzma is my favorite Disney villain, but she does not belong on this list because she is incredibly heterosexual because she's Eartha Kitt. So, you know, she's, she's, she's a genius, but she's of a different lineage. Um, There's, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of different vibes of Disney villains as well, but it was, it's striking for the men in particular. Yeah. This pattern. And yeah, I sort of like the idea that you've said of like, in some ways, you know, people, I mean, we realize we've all gotten sick of Frozen for perfectly justifiable reasons, but you know, it was an exciting thing to watch when it first came out because it really did feel like for the first time in a long time, mm. Disney was doing something a little bit different and putting something different at the heart of one of its movies. And mm. it's interesting, as you say, to sort of think of it as also a recuperation of the yeah. queer coded villain, finding a yeah. way to like, let them exist within the story instead. Especially within a family of sort of like, you do still belong, you do still belong in this family. Yeah. Yeah. And you still belong in the kingdom, which for Disney is in fact the most important thing. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. that's why Disney villains are gay. That's gay. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. We have a series of very special episodes coming up to celebrate (laughs) the many winter holidays that are taking place in the coming weeks. So do subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts so -hmm. that you can be alerted as soon as these very special episodes appear. Leave a Mm -hmm. comment, leave a rating. Oh my God, leave a rating. Follow us on Instagram. Yes, please. At uh, This Movie Is Gay Podcast. And we'll see you very soon. Goodbye.